If I truly understood the strengths and the gaps that mattered within a whole team, what would be different? Uh, I'm Tim Wenzel, and welcome to The Wild Conversation, where we make the best thinking in psychology, leadership, and organizational science accessible to leaders who are willing to learn and edit for their sake and for the sake of others. Today, we are continuing our series on building whole leader continuity, and specifically, understanding the strengths and the gaps in your team. All right. So I'm excited. Uh, thank you, Rob and Daniel and the Wild Crew for inviting me to do this. I've been a part of this for like two years now, and uh, this is the favorite part of my week. Um, but I have, a little, I have a little story to bring to the table. Uh, early in my security career, I came into a role which I felt underqualified for. The people that we were protecting, they were legendary. And as it were turned out, they were great people, really kind people, actually. And the team that I was working with was top tier, some of the best. I was just transitioning into this specific sector of executive protection, and I had so much to learn, and I craved these growth opportunities, and I was so excited. I moved halfway across the country for this job. Picture this. I spent my entire 20s in and around Iraq. In 20, or 2003, um, I was part of the U.S. military's invasion. I spent 15 months in country during that. And then as a security contractor, I spent from 2007 to 2010 there. And yet, when I would get ready to go to work at this job in the United States of America, I felt sick to my stomach every morning. I would stare in the bathroom mirror and have to talk myself into going to work. And was it because it was so dangerous? No. It was because I didn't know what unnecessary vitriol I would walk into that day. I would look in the mirror and I'd say, Tim, you've been shot at. You've been blown up. Like, you can do this. And I know that many of you on this call can relate to this morning routine. Maybe you haven't done the combat zone stuff, but some of you have. But many of us have had this type of role, this type of job where it was just toxic. I would park my car, I would look at my work site, and I would have that same uneasy feeling that we would have driving in, the, in, in Iraq when we would come to a place in town, an unavoidable checkpoint, a place we knew there was trouble and we didn't know what was waiting for us. But here at this job, I, I had no power to manage this battle space. I had no one to fight. I, I could only run the gauntlet every day. And this was the most competent and technically proficient team I had ever been a part of. So the question that I want you to think about right now for the next few moments is think back to the last toxic workplace that you were part of. And what factors primarily contributed to the toxicity? Through my journey 
um, over 20 years in the security industry, in the military, I've come to believe that competency is a lagging indicator of success. Competency can really only tell us how well someone performed in the past, uh, in a given environment, under a set of circumstances. And it may actually, as we think about designing teams, be the least important criteria for designing highly effective autonomous teams. Ladders.com says that a competency trap is the false belief that your past principles, ideas, mental models will continually lead to future successes and better judgment. It's a tendency to rely on familiar tools, skills, or routines without measuring their effectiveness now and in the future. So as we start to think about the strengths and the gaps within our teams. Let's get past competency. Competency is very important. All of our teams, we have purposes, we have roles, we have things to accomplish on behalf of our organizations. But we're really good, actually. Most of us are saying, these are the hard skills. These are the skill sets that we need for people to technically be able to do the job. Some of you on this call have had conversations with me. You've called and said, hey, I have the best, most competent people in my teams, yet it's a disaster. Like I'm having problems. I can't understand why it feels this way. I can't understand why they're not motivated. And what's the kind thing to do? Well, I've come to believe that the kind thing to do is to revamp how we think about designing our teams in the first place. If you wish to have a high-performing autonomous team who engage willingly and enthusiastically, your challenges are probably not competency-based. And in fact, if you think back to that last toxic workplace you were a part of, those problems were probably not competency-based either. Uh, the Wild Toolkit has an amazing tool to help us think about competencies, experiences, uh, both in the past and in the present and in the future. They also help us identify characteristics that we need to develop in ourselves and in people. It's called, it's called the Skills and Knowledge Inventory. Uh, and so this is really helpful for me to not only self-reflect, but I've also used it to gauge how well I measure people and personalities and how they'll mesh. It's, it's given me a lot of insight. So that's something you might check out. But if I truly understood the strengths and the gaps that mattered within a whole team, what would be different? That's the question today. So how do we know what matters? What is a whole team, right? This is whole leaders. We believe that you need to treat the whole person, everything that surrounds the person. And this is the same with a team. So teams do not exist in a vacuum. They don't thrive or die in a vacuum. They don't abuse or heal or provide refuge in a vacuum. We often talk about toxicity in the workplace as a result of toxic leadership. We almost always say toxic leaders produce toxic workplaces. Um, Jocko Willink says, and I love this actually, as a leader, you get what you create and allow. 
We say things like the leader sets the tone, et cetera. It keeps going. And all of these things are basically true. But Rob often says, most employees don't want to be bad employees. And most employees don't want to be poor or even average performers. And guess what? Most leaders, we don't want to be toxic leaders. We don't want to be evil people. And actually, very few of these team outcomes are 100% influenced by the leaders. Think of it like this. A house built on sand doesn't respond well to even the best maintenance schedules or the best maintenance technicians. If we don't build on a firm foundation, your leadership ability, as great as it might be, cannot fix something that's poorly designed. So I have to think to myself, what if that toxic workplace, that toxic department, that unenthusiastic team is more attributable to poor design standards, like a poorly designed building, rather than just poor leadership or management? And I think this is something that we often overlook as leaders. Because HR drives the process, processes drive the process, and we don't question these. And so let's today think about how we can design better teams. So what does your whole team environment consist of? Well, we have purpose. We have a mission. We have a a vision. Why did you come to work today? Do you ever ask your employees that? Why not? What do they tell you? Hopefully it's not just for the paycheck. The people themselves, work-life balance, what does that even mean? Work is a part of life and family is a part of life and coworkers are a part of life and, and trials and successes and triumph are all a part of life. Is there really a balance? What about the upward and downward relationships between employees and managers, managers and their employees, Uh, employees and the people looking up to those employees, junior employees, we could say. What about that feedback dynamic? Is feedback offered openly without fear? What about the roles themselves? Are they meaningful? Do they have a, a bespoke scope of work? so that every individual has a scope of work they can own and they can stand by without excuse as their product. They can be proud of it. Is their work to be done or outcomes achieved that are clear in their purpose, clear in their importance? Do people know why the work that they're doing is important? These all have a role to play in a whole team. Even the most junior person or the most supportive role, do they know why their work is so important, how they contribute to the success of the organization? Have you asked? Alignment and efficiency of resources is really the function of management, right? So do you ask yourselves the questions, what creates misalignment in my team? What creates inefficiency in my team? 
and what can diminish the purpose of my team? And are these things in play? When are they in play and what scenarios are they in play? There are some great questions that we can think about when we're examining ourselves, we're examining our team members, when we're looking to hire new employees. I've graciously uh, stolen many of them from Rob, but you might recognize some of them. Uh, What is it that you can't help but do well? And what is your unique contribution to any team or group you're a part of? And where'd you learn that? How did you learn that? What character virtue in you is a strength, but if overdone becomes problematic for others, when might that be? Which scenarios, under which circumstances do your strengths become problematic for others? What will others have to tolerate to work well with you? What mood do you create when you enter a room? What are you like at your worst? What's your unique contribution? Do you embrace, retreat, or tolerate struggle? Why? And what kind of struggle? What do you think of when I say struggle? When I think of conflict, when I say conflict, what do you think of? These types of questions help you understand the experience and the perspective of everybody. What situations or experiences have you had on other teams that you never want to see or revisit again? And what is your role in making sure that you don't? These are all things that we should think about. How do we identify the strengths that matter? Well, personally, I've taken um, my own approach to this. I have three criteria for hiring new people. One, how easy will it, work, will it be to work with this person? How seamlessly will they integrate into the existing team and complement them? Maintaining a, a positive and energetic team is crucial. And bringing in new people that are a detriment to what you already have can kill a team. Are they able to learn the job and their new role? The fact that I'm interviewing them means that they're probably already competent. Don't need to spend a lot of time on that. But are you able to learn what we do here? How we serve our organization? What matters to us as a team? Are you quickly able to consume volumes of information and use it tomorrow and establish yourself as a base level subject matter expert. Do you like to spend your energy learning and internalizing that information and putting it out the next day? Is constant learning stimulating or exhausting for you? And three, do they have experiences, views, thoughts, strategy, et cetera, that are different than mine and the rest of the teams. For me, intellectual diversity is crucial. I ask every single person, will you accept the responsibility to question and constructively challenge our processes, our methods, and our mindsets? Identifying gaps that matter. You can think about these types of things. What do you not trust your team to do manage or accomplish when you're not present. Often we build teams around our strengths, but we like to keep those strengths to ourselves because it makes us feel special. What are the gaps that happen when we're not present? 
what would it take for you to leave your work phone at home when you go on holiday? What would it take for you to take a six-week sabbatical and not worry about work or your team? Who do you not allow your team to lead conversations with? How will I engineer the following out of my team? Blame, hyperbole, gossip, and backbiting. What dynamics, situations, personalities, etc., make these these bad characteristics possible? What fuels them and makes them thrive? What in my team right now do I need to pay attention to? So where do we begin? Well, for myself and the Kindness Games, we believe there are three things that you can keep track of and that you can implement on your team as thought processes to help correct some of these things. One, Let's engage out of curiosity. What would it look like? What would it feel like if we all led our interactions with curiosity? The the want to learn, the want to explore, to understand. Curiosity um, often leads to self-control. When we're trying to understand, it tames the fire within us, the fear within us. Explore every day, every week with mindfulness and purpose, right? Every Sunday, I look at my agenda for the week and I say, okay, what are the things that I have to do? What are the things that I love to do? What are the things that I am really dreading? Those are the two extremes I pay attention to. And the things that I love to do that I show up fired up for, who else is in that room that I want to elevate, that I want to bring into this conversation because my energy can take all the rest of the energy out of the room if I don't pay attention to that. And the things that I'm not looking forward to, that I hate to do, what is the purpose for me and for the other people in the room that I can move towards in a constructive way? And grace and acceptance, is it okay to fail and learn the lessons? What if we committed to creating a joyful environment each day by extending grace and acceptance to everyone we work and interact with. So in 2012, I decided that I would only pursue positions of leadership. Uh, Why? Because I'm so amazing at my work and better than everybody else. No, actually, um, I'm I'm pretty average. I'm kind of mediocre at the work that I actually do. But this role, this role that I had that caused such dread, the stomach aches, I spent a year of heartache and upset stomachs. I spent a year of unease over my future and the future of my family because I felt like I could just be let go any day. In 2013, I wrote the following as a reflection on this tragic role. Problems are opportunities to be excellent. Someone does not always need to be at fault. We succeed and fail as a team, as a program, and we are committed to the professional development of one another. And I wrote that in a code of conduct for the team that I was building. And so why, did I, why do I lead? I lead so I can develop high-performing autonomous teams who thrive in a joyful environment. I lead so I can create 
the absolute best teams for the people in them. That's why I am interested in leadership. But my last question for you is this. Once you truly understand the strengths and the gaps that matter within your whole team, what will you change? Thank you for listening to this wild conversation. To join our live wild conversation on Fridays, visit our website at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation and subscribe to this podcast for regular whole and intentional leader development conversations. Have a great day.